Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Last week we talked about a, a fancy theological term, uh, Christological, simply means this. Jesus believed the Bible, and because Jesus believed the Bible, we ought to believe the Bible. Amen? And if you fail to do so, if you're attacking the Bible, the parts that Jesus specifically said were true, that he talked about himself, you're not just attacking the Word of God, you're attacking Jesus Christ and his deity. That's why it's something we need to be very careful uh, about doing to where we're not attacking who he is. Today's title might seem strange to you because we're going to look at some scientific reasons to believe the Bible. Because believe it or not, science, I think in some way, supports biblical creation. Now, the reason I said that might come across as strange to you, we live in a day and time, we live in a culture that wants us to believe that, that, that science is true and the Bible's not. And, and that science and the Bible somehow are not compatible at all. We, we live in a day and time that people are accepting something that is even still a theory, the theory of evolution, but it's being taught in our culture and in our schools it, like it's a, a decided fact that's been proven and it's undeniable, when the truth of the matter is it hasn't been proven. <laughs> and you can challenge it. In several ways. I want to start out today by reading you a quote that a man wrote who's an evolutionist. It kind of boggles my mind that he said this, especially that he put it in writing to where people like me could read it. Because he, he shows his hand in this statement, and the statement's not on the screen. You just have to listen closely, and I'll unpack it as I read it. But, but he shows his hand as to why evolutionists hold to science and to materialism and refute and continue to deny that there could really be a God. I, I want you to listen to this quote. The guy's name is uh, Richard Charles Lewiton. He, he was born March 29th, 1929. Unless he's died this week, he's still alive. He's an American evolutionary biologist, a geneticist, an academic, and get this part, social commentator. Because I think that describes who he is more than anything. Here's what he said. We take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs. In spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life. In spite of the tolerance of scientific community for unsubstantiated just so stories. Because we have, listen to this, a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism. It is not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world, but on the contrary, that we are forced by our prior adherence 
to material causes to create an apparatus of investigation in a set of concepts that produce material explanations, no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated. Moreover, materialism is absolute, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. Now, did you just hear what he said? The interpretation of everything that he said is just basically this. We're going to hold the materialism into evolution no matter what the evidence shows us. And we've got a preconceived commitment to it because we cannot allow evidence of God to exist. We can't allow God to get his foot in the door of the education system. We can't allow God to get his foot in the door of our culture. So he said, we're going to hold to evolution and we're going to try and take science and use it to disprove the Bible. Even though it's not really true, yet we're going to hold to that irregardless of what the evidence shows because we don't want to believe there's a God. Now, now that, to me, if everyone would read that and all of our educators would read that, Maybe it would make people think, maybe we ought to step back a minute and think about this. Instead of us teaching our children and our youth, and even teaching in, in universities, I'll read some quotes out of a university book in, in a few minutes, that it is like it's an established fact that evolution is completely true, and they'll even make it sound like we have proven beyond any doubt the Bible's not true, that creation could not have happened the way the Bible says it, and, and yet they admit that they're holding to what they believe because of their preconceived ideas. This is just me. I hope it's you too. But I believe it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it takes to believe in creation. The fact that there's a God, the fact that there's a creator. I believe it's illogical to believe evolution and more logical to believe what the Bible has to say about creation. And I hope by the time I'm finished today, you'll believe the same thing too, if you, if you don't already, because there are really some crazy things, I think, that science and evolution try to hold to. The beginning of the Bible says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and and the earth. That statement is filled with some scientific things. In the beginning, talks about the concept of time, even beginning itself. In the beginning, God, that brings forth the concept of a personality, of, of the fact that, that anybody, a personality exists, that there's an intelligence that exists in, in the world, whoever you want to say it might be. But that gives the evidence of that in that verse. Created. By, by the way, let me throw this in. When we try to say we believe that there's a God and that he's eternal, and that he's always existed, the scientists and the evolutionists want to come and say, well, who created God? Well, see, the fallacy in that is this. The Bible teaches and God claims to be an eternal God. You only have to prove who created you if you had a beginning. You, you realize that scientifically? If you've always existed, that's a mute issue because you've always existed. No one had to create you because you're the self-existent eternal God. 
Now, I want you to bear that in mind because you're going to find out in a few minutes that they believe some things are eternal themselves that we ought to ask where that come from. We, we all throw the same question to them. In the beginning, God created. In the word created, you've got the, the concept of all the energy and, and forces that exist in the universe. God created the heavens. You've got the, the, the concept introduced of all the expanse of, of space as we know it today. In the earth, you've got the concept of matter existing. Erwin Luther, in his book that some of you are going through in your small groups, said this. He, he said this one verse in the Bible refutes all the alternative philosophies regarding the origin and the meaning of the universe. In other words, it, it refutes all of that stuff. The, the stuff that evolutionists and scientists want to try and, try and claim. The same evolutionist that I quoted a moment ago, he quoted Lewis Beck as saying this, anyone who could believe in God could believe in anything. I'm all right with that. I, I'm okay with that. Because if you can believe the first verse in the Bible, in the beginning God created the heaven and earth, all the rest of it all be easy. If Jesus spoke creation into existence, I don't have a bit of trouble but with him walking on the water. Do you? <laughs> Or him raising the dead. Or other miracles we see in the Bible. If he's the one that created it all and spoke it into existence. We ought to be able to believe anything because there's a creator God. We ought to be able to believe the truth of the Bible because there is a, a, a creator God. So, in fact, if we can believe this first verse in the Bible, and with all this stuff I've just said kind of as our background, I, I want us to... Start out by talking about the faith system of evolutionism. And then we're going to talk about why we ought to believe the Bible, the, the, the case for creationism being true. The reason I use that phrase, the faith system of, of evolutionists, secular scholars, atheists, etc., is that whether they like to admit it or not, what they believe is a faith system. It's a belief system. It's not anything that's been proven. It, it isn't really scientific. It's something that, that they believe. It's not science. It's a secular belief system. Now, now having said that, I'm going to bring up some several things that they believe, and then we'll kind of move forward. First of all, evolutionists believe this. They believe that something can be created by nothing. Let that marinate in your mind for a minute. That, that something can, create, can be created by nothing. The phrase they use is uh, uh, ex nihilo, or something created from nothing. H how does that happen? I have things that I own, and the things that I own were manufactured somewhere. About everything we own has, has a place of origin, Right? How can you believe that something, just any little thing, can be made from nothing by itself? On top of that, how do you look at the expanse of the universe and say all of that just happened accidentally? They, they even teach this. They hold that the universe was created spontaneously as a result of established principles of physics. I'm sorry, I, I'm just an old redneck, but that don't make a bit of sense to me. 
If the universe was established spontaneously by established principles of physics, where did the established principles of physics come from? Some other things they believe. They believe that matter is eternal. They believe that there is a pre-existent matter. That at one time, all the matter that exists in the universe (laughs) was condensed down to the size smaller than one atom. Now guys, I'd have a hard time believing one tree came from that. But they believe everything that exists in all the universe at one time was condensed down to smaller than the size of an atom. And that all that matter had been preexistent and it was eternal and it had always been there. Once again, I'm, I'm just kind of a country boy. <laughs> Raised in the country out of Wills County. Where did the matter come from? Now, now their question, they want to throw at us when we say we believe there's an eternal God. They'll say, who made God? My question to them is, who made the matter? If you're saying there's pre-existent eternal matter, where did that come from? To, To use their own logic against them. My other statement is this. If you can believe that matter was pre-existent and it didn't have a beginning. What's so crazy about believing there's an eternal self-existent God that's always existed? To me, that sounds more logical that there's a self-existent, all-powerful, almighty God that's always existed than saying there's just matter out there that's always existed somehow. They also believe in this thing you've heard about before, probably in school for years and years, and you still hear about uh, all the time in our culture, and that's the Big Bang Theory. They believe that all that condensed matter I talked about a moment ago was condensed down at one point in time to be smaller than the size of an atom. And then an explosion took place. And when that explosion took place, all that matter started spreading across the universe. And from that explosion of all that condensed matter, I want to remind you that was smaller than the size of an atom. We have all the stars all the planets, everything that's in creation, all the trees, all the flowers, you, me. By the way, we have DNA, and I'll talk about DNA in a little while, a little bit more detail. Are are, are you telling me that by an explosion of something less than the size of an atom, everything that we see in the universe today that exists happened Somehow, accidentally, by that condensed matter that was preexistent, that was smaller than the size of an atom, and all of a sudden an explosion took place. What that means is this. They're saying that somehow the order, the specific order that you'll see a lot about in today's message of the universe, somehow came out of disorder. Somehow came out of an explosion taking place. I've seen where explosions have taken place from being in law enforcement. We've got an SBI officer here that comes to our church, and he has to deal with that a lot in, in his job. He's seen a lot of explosions take place. I've never seen it create one thing. It causes chaos. 
It doesn't cause a, a creation to take place. And yet that's what they believe. That all the order, all the rules, all the chemicals, uh, everything having to do with physics in the universe, all of that happened just with an explosion of matter. That means the complexity of DNA came about from an explosion of matter. And to me, that's just totally, totally, completely illogical that you could believe that that would happen. Here's, here's a, a university textbook that's still in use. The, the Young Oxford Book of Astronomy. By the time the universe, this is a quote, by the time the universe was about a millionth of a second old, much of the energy had been converted to protons. In the next millisecond, electrons were formed and these collided with the protons to make neutrons. Neutrons survived only a thousand seconds as independent particles. So the next minutes were crucial. Then the first quarter of an hour. I'm sorry, I'm wondering who's keeping time. The protons reacted with the neutrons, which were fast decaying, to make the nuclei of helium atoms in the race against time. In a race against time, as the universe continued to cool and expand, the universe managed, managed all by itself, to convert about a quarter of its matter to form hydrogen into helium. The remaining hydrogen was used to make the stars. And it did it all by itself. Now, once again, maybe I'm just too simple-minded, but I've got a few questions there. Who was there and recorded this amazing event taking place? Because they make it sound like they had a front row seat, and they were sitting there watching all this take place. Yeah, that was my next point. Who's there with a stopwatch? Time in the milliseconds that that's taking place. How in the world does something without any intelligence whatsoever decide we're going to use part of the energy this direction, we're going to use the rest of it to make the stars? Who was there to test and discover the makeup of these elements and in the physics and the chemicals because they make it sound like someone was there and they've got a Video of it all or something, folks. Stephen Hawking. Uh, some of you may know his name. Some of you may not. All of you see him on TV. He's the guy in the, the wheelchair. It's in a lot of the advertisements. And he, and he uses a mechanism to try, and, to try and speak through. Really, really high IQ. Now, he's not a believer. But here's something he said. If the rate of expansion one second after the Big Bang had been smaller, I want you to notice the tolerances here. Think about this. Had been smaller by even one part in a hundred thousand million, the universe would have recollapsed before it ever reached its present state. You're telling me that all of the matter that was preexistent for all time, was condensed down smaller than an atom, an explosion took place, and then with that explosion, 
It is expanded in that type of tolerance to, to that type of, of degree because had it been slower than that tolerance, he said everything would have collapsed back down. Now, some of you remember us doing a series of two or three years ago that dealt with kind of a lot of this stuff. I also told you that if it was expanding faster than the universe is expanding, gravity took, couldn't exist. We couldn't even stay on the planet. If it was expanding faster, even to fractions like this. That type of controlled environment doesn't happen from an explosion. That type of, of necessary timing does not happen by accident. Erwin Luther in his books made this comment to, to this statement. Breathtaking. <laughs> As I was reading, I wrote a laugh out loud beside his statement. I believe that is breathtaking. Is it? To me, it takes my breath so much, I'm thinking, how in the world can anyone believe that happened by accident? To have that degree of tolerance taking place. So, so to kind of give you a full picture of it, we're expected to believe a random explosion of condensed matter smaller than an atom occurred in all of creation that exists, all the vastness of the universe, all the planets, all the stars, all life just happened accidentally. We're expected to believe that all the matter formed after this explosion in a specific formula that created all the needed elements and chemicals for life. We're expected to believe that this chaotic explosion expanded at the necessary control rate to allow the universe to exist. I'm sorry, but here's my take on it. An intelligent design demands an intelligent designer. When you look at the tolerances, and we don't have time to go in all, all of them. There's all kinds of things we can throw out. But if you consider the tolerances and, and the specifics of, of creation, folks, it didn't happen by accident. It, it did not happen accidentally. They also believe, as we think about what the evolutionists or the secular scientists believe, they believe in anything but God. And Erwin Luther made this statement in, in his book. He said, it is not as though Christians have faith while seculars base their convictions purely on facts and reason. Secularism itself is based on ultimate beliefs just as much as Christianity is. Some part of creation, usually matter or nature, functions in the role of the divine. In other words, they're allowing something else to be their God. So the question is not which view is religious and which is purely rational, the question is this, which is true and which is false? See, they want us to believe they have proven it scientifically and we're accepting everything by faith when the truth of the matter is we have to believe by faith and what they say is true is also by faith. It is not scientific. It, it is not anything that they can believe. And the problem is in this day and time that evolution, the belief of evolution is starting to crumble, starting to fall apart. The theory, 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 do you hear that word? Not fact. The theory of evolution in this day and time is starting to be denied by scientists who are honest enough to say, you know what, evolution doesn't even obey the laws of science. It's impossible, think about this mathematical equation for a minute. It's impossible that nothing times nobody equals everything. I, I, I've, I've told you before that I'm not a mathematician, 
But I know enough to know that if you take nothing and you multiply it by nobody, you don't get everything out of it. And yet that's what they're saying, that they believe took place. That everything came about from nothing. That it made these conscious choices, creation did, the matter did, to form just like it has without any intelligent being being involved in it. That's what they try to teach and what they believe. I, I love this one. I get to say something that probably not be said in any church in North Carolina today. Laws of thermodynamics. When's the last time you heard that in church? Laws of thermodynamics reveal available energy is depleting and nature goes in the direction of deterioration and disorganization instead of evolving into something higher. In other words, that simply means this. Evolution doesn't take place because when you leave nature alone to its own devices, what happens is this. It goes downhill. It deteriorates. It's not evolving into something better. And here's what God said in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10 through 12. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. There's not such a thing as eternal matter that exists out there. It will perish, but God himself will remain. He's the one that created it. Notice this. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you'll roll them up. Like a garment, they'll be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Now, when you buy clothing, to start with... It looks nice and you love it and you keep wearing it and you keep washing it and it starts to fade and it starts to deteriorate and it starts to get balled up. And if you keep wearing it long enough and often enough, it's something really, really that you like. Sooner or later, it will start to deteriorate to the point that you can't really wear it anymore because it starts getting holes in it and things like that, right? Now that is if, if you get to wear it long enough. If my weight goes up and down, I don't get to wear it long enough, so I don't get to wear it out. But, but here's the point. The Bible says the same thing is true of creation. It's not evolving. It's not going into a higher state. It's not waxing to where it's better. It's waxing away to where it's wearing out. And one day God's going to roll it up just like a scroll and be done with it. Because there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. The Bible teaches that God's the one that made everything. Louis Bonheur, he's the director of scientific research for France, said this, evolution is a fairy tale for adults. The guy that's over science for France said that evolution is a fairy tale for adults. A scientist by the name of A.E. Wilder Smith began as an atheist. I love these stories. I love when you hear about someone that's an atheist and they're setting out to disprove the Bible and disprove the reality of God and then they come face to face with the reality of God and they're not an atheist anymore because they've become a Christian. Don't you love those stories? That's the story of A. E. Wilder Smith. He began as an atheist, but he later came to faith in Christ. One of the reasons was this. When he was in college, he met a guy by the name of C.S. Lewis. <laughs> so you're debating with C.S. Lewis and you lose and you start realizing that there is a God 
So he became a Christian, and then he made some illustrations up that I think are really significant. He said, what are the odds if you're in an airplane flying over your home at 6,000 feet, and you drop out 100,000 white cars, what are the odds that they'll land on the ground and spell your initials? Because he said, that's the same statistical odds that evolution could be true. He said, if you were to take a barrel and put a bunch of metal inside the barrel, and you shake that barrel for a million years, what are the odds that when you open the barrel out, you're going to have the mechanism of a wristwatch come out? Just by putting metal in and shaking it and shaking it and shaking it, and sooner or later it organizes into a wristwatch and pops out. You see, the odds are this. It would never happen. And he says that's the same mathematical statistical odds that evolution could be true. And here's the the kicker. One cell is much more complex than any wristwatch that's ever existed. One cell. See, the discovery of, of DNA has really messed with evolutionists. And they started trying to come up with new phrases and new excuses. And here's why. When they discovered the DNA code, everyone, even atheistic scientists, have to admit it is a written code. It's too intricate to just happen by accident. Now, if, if I'm reading a book... I start thinking there must be an author to this book. And when you look at DNA code and how intricate the DNA code is, to me that screams there's a creator. There's someone who made us. There's a genetic equivalent in one cell to a 4,000 volume library in one cell within your body. The odds that DNA happened by chance is 1 in 10 with 301 zeros attached to it. Let me take you back a couple of weeks. Remember the day we had our projectors out and I had a whiteboard up here and it kind of worked out neat, I think, that day with a whiteboard. And I was writing the figure up. Here's what we were talking about. The odds that any one person would fulfill just eight of the Messianic prophecies. Just eight of them. Jesus fulfilled 353 so far. But the odds that any one person could fulfill just eight of them was one in 10 with 17 zeros. The odds that DNA could happen by accident is one in 10 with 301 zeros. Aren't you glad I'm not writing on a whiteboard today? We'd be here all day. 301 zeros attached to it. To to believe that DNA happened by accident, statisticians say would be the equivalent of believing that a print shop had an explosion and out of the chaos of that explosion, out pops a Webster's Dictionary. That's how extreme the odds are. Now, I took time to talk about the faith of evolutionists and secular scientists 
leaning toward evolution to just help establish for you, because some of you might not have heard it put the same way I put it. See, if you're listening to some evolutionist or some scientist, they have all these degrees in front of his name or after his name, and he says something, and a lot of people just say, well, that's bound to be true. Not even think logically, that sounds crazy. That all the matter of all the universe and everything that exists would condense down to less than the size of an atom. An explosion happened and everything exists today by accident. Does that sound logical? So let's talk about the case for creationism. The case for creationism and how creation is actually, I think, supported by science. Now don't let this throw you, but theologians believe that God has written two books. One is a book of his works, the book of creation, to where God displays himself clearly through everything that he's created, through the creation. The second one is the book of his written word, where God reveals himself to us. So let's think about how God revealed himself through his works. David, I think, had the right response. David looked at creation. He looked at the stars. And he said this, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, here's the reaction that David is having. What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? David's looking up in the night and seeing the stars. He's thinking, wow. For you to do this, for you to be that kind of big God, why in the world would you think about us? So David allowed what he could see to draw him toward God, not to push him away from God. Now, I want to remind you, in David's time, David could see what he could look up and see with his own eyes. I was uh, in court one time when I was in law enforcement, and another officer was uh, testifying, and he was testifying about a crime that he witnessed from the distance. And the defense attorney thought that he would make a point with the officer. And he was saying, well, well, officer so-and-so, I won't tell you who his name was, but he, he, he said, how far can you see? <laughs> and he set himself up for a fall. The lawyer did, and the officer said, I don't know how far away is the moon. How far away is the, <laughs> how, how far away is the sun? How, how far away is the stars? But you see, now, now David was drawn toward the reality of there being a God just by what he could look up and see with his physical eye. How much more should we be in all of the universe? Because we've seen much further than what we can just see with our eyes. With telescopes and the Hubble Space Telescope and being out on the space station and things like that, we've seen much further than David could see with his naked eye. Why would not our world have the same response that David had and think, my goodness, look at this massive universe. God, why in the world would you think about us? In creation, God goes public. And then we're going to talk about the Bible. In the Bible, God goes private in a few minutes. In the creation, God goes public. David also wrote this in Psalm 19. The heavens are telling of the glory of God 
their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. More or less, David just said, hey, all this creation, that's screaming, there's a creator. That, that is shouting, that's giving a testimony that there, in fact, is a creator. So in other words, creation, as we look at creation, we think about science and scientific facts that we can bring to bear ought to give us another reason to believe the Bible. So let's talk about some basic things. Let's talk about the earth. The existence of the earth and some statistics and scientific things we know about the earth ought to cause us to believe creation and there's a God controlling everything. Remember what we read to begin with this morning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the what? Earth. Some things about our earth. The revolutions of the earth around the sun are punctual. Ever since scientists have been able to track it, it never fluctuates by a second. Every, every day as it comes around, Every month as it comes around, it comes around specifically on the timing. The axis of the earth is 23.5 degrees. If the axis of the earth were to be different than 23.5 degrees, we wouldn't have the seasons that we have. More than likely, life could not even exist on the planet as we know it if the earth was not turned at that exact axis. So you want me to believe that there was something smaller than an atom that all the matter was in, an explosion took place, and just somehow exactly our world is in the time frame that it is in, going around our sun, the distance from our sun, I'll talk about it in a moment. And just so, just haphazardly by accident, it is held at the exact axis angle that it must in order for life to exist. That happened by accident. It's what they want you to believe. If the earth were 10% larger than it is, 10% is not a lot. If the, if the earth were 10% larger than what it is, we cannot live on the earth because of the heat. We would die from heat. If the earth were 10% smaller than it is, we would freeze to death. But they want you to believe all that happened by accident. The water and the carbon and other elements, it, it takes 17 chemical elements are needed to create simple bacteria. For a life like human life to exist, you have to add another 26 chemical elements and they want you to believe that happened by accident what about the moon for a minute see the bible talks about the moon you can read the verses later for sake of time i'm not going to read all the verses but it talks about god putting those two lights in the sky the sun and and, and the moon and the stars we're going to talk about the sun in a moment and uh, we're going to talk about the stars in just a moment but the moon is our only satellite that we have going around the earth the moon's gravitational pull and our gravitational pull on the moon itself helps keep us in that constant rotation and keeps us in place where we have to be around the sun. Without 
the gravity pull of the moon, we would not have tides in the ocean. And a lot of life couldn't exist without having those tides. And the complete environment and the, the weather systems would change without those tides taking place. Jupiter, by the way, I know it's not the moon, but Jupiter, just to give you another idea, we ought to be thankful to Jupiter for this reason. Jupiter, because of the size of Jupiter and the huge gravitational pull that it has, it pulls a lot of comets into itself that would hit Earth if it were not for God having placed Jupiter there with a gravitational pull that it had. The moon rotates around the Earth Ever since scientists have been able to track it, exactly 29.5 days. And it never varies. Think about the sun for a minute. Because I think the sun gives scientific evidence for us that there must be a creator that designed all of this just as he did. Like I said, the same verses a minute ago, it says God put them there. God put the sun there, put it there to provide the light and, and the moon there. I'm not going to read all that. You can, you can read it later. The sun's our closest star, but it is 93 million miles away. It'd be a pretty good vacation trip, wouldn't it? Imagine the kids in the back seat. Are we there yet? The sun's volume is one million times larger than the earth's, and an illustration that uh, Erwin Lutzer gave was to take a basketball and put a golf ball beside of it for comparison in the size difference. If the sun were further away, we would freeze to death. If it were closer, we would die of heat. The sun's a ball of gas that rotates within itself, and that's what creates all the energy that, that's there coming from it. If our sun were to be like many of the other suns or stars that exist, because many of the other stars, they're not constant like our sun is. They will dim, they will fade. Sometimes it looks like they've gone out completely and then they'll flare back up. If our sun were like those others, we couldn't live on the earth. If we didn't have the constancy of the sun in the way that I think God designed the sun. The sun, the earth, and the moon dance in a complex dance that is so timed and so specific that you can time hundreds of years before it happens exactly when a full eclipse will take place. Hundreds of years before it happens because that's how specific the dance is, the timing between those three things. What about the stars? I think the stars gives evidence that there's a God also that put everything out there in existence in our universe. Nehemiah said this, you are the Lord, you alone. You made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You preserve all of them and the host of heaven worships you. I told you a minute ago, our sun is 93 million miles away. The next closest sun to us is 250,000 times further away. I didn't say 250,000 more miles. I said 250,000 times more. For you to know what that sounds like, that's 23 trillion, 250 billion miles away. 
If we could travel at the speed of light, which we can now, the speed of light is 186,000 miles a second. Some of you think you got fast cars. Some of us think we got fast motorcycles. Hey, 186,000 miles a second. If we could travel that fast, get on a spaceship and travel that fast, we could be at our sun, 93 million miles in eight minutes. We could be at that next closest star in four years. But let's say we want to continue traveling until we got to what we know of right now as the ends of our universe, and we were continuing to travel at the speed of light. It would take us 20 billion years to reach the outskirts of the universe as we know it. Does that sound like a big God? (laughs) Does that sound like to you all that happened by accident? Our Milky Way... There are more than 100 billion stars. There are about 10 million other galaxies, each with hundreds of millions of stars. And here's what the Bible says about God. The Bible says that God determined the number of the stars, and he gives all of them their names. Guys, I don't know, but, you know, that gives me a woe minute here for a second. It's one thing to think about God being the creator and put everything out there, but add to it this. He has the mental capacity to name all those beings and beings and beings of stars. I'm simply trying to make a case for this. I'm trying to make a case as we look at all the universe, we ought to come away with this idea. God is a big God. And things did not happen by accident. The, the universe is an effect that requires a very big cause to take place. And that cause is God. So you're still telling me, evolutionists, that you want me to believe that all of that took place by something smaller than the size of an atom exploding. And haphazardly, all that exists took place because of those things. So in creation, God went public. God put creation there as a testimony that, hey, hey, I'm here. Look at all this. I'm here. But God wrote two books. He wrote creation, and he also writes the Bible. And in the Bible, God goes private. He tells us some things we can't find out here in creation. He tells us some things in the Bible you can't find through evolution. You're not going to find through science. And there's some important things that we need to know, the Bible tells us, before we bring this service to a close. The works of God testify He's a creator, but also His words. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made out of the things that are visible. God is the one that made everything. And he tells us that in the Bible. But there's other important things we need to know. First one is this. Man's a created being. God created us after the image of God. And that means that we did not evolve to have intelligence. God created us with a capacity for intelligence. God created man in his own image. He created him, male and female, he created them. Colossians 3, 10 and 11. 
and have put on the new self, which is being created in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So generically, God created man and he gave us the capacity to know him. He gave us intelligence. But as Paul writes about believers, he's saying because we put on the new self, we're being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the creator. We have a special ability to understand and know God as Christians, as believers. God gave us that capacity. God is an eternal being. And he has given man an eternal soul. In Exodus, God said, I am. And that simply means, hey, I've always existed. I am that I am. I've always existed. Psalm 90, verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Ecclesiastes 12, 7 says this, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, the dust that we're made of, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. See, the Bible says you have an eternal soul. That eternal soul is going to spend eternity somewhere. That body goes back to the dust, but there's an eternal soul. Matthew 25, 46, Jesus said this, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Two destinations. And you need to be aware of that this morning. God is a creator. He created us with a capacity to know him, but those who reject him have an eternity without him. The word of God tells us Christ is a personal creator who still manages all of his creation. Here's what evolution tells you. An impersonal force just accidentally exploded and that's how everything exists. And it's not being managed by anything. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the one that spoke everything into existence and he still loves us enough to manage the universe that we live in. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And notice this, in him, all things hold together. You want to know why we don't fly off the face of this planet? Because Jesus is willing that we do not fall off the face of this planet. You want to know why the universe is expanding at that specific rate? It must expand because God said that it would be so. And God is controlling it to be so. He is a personal God who is still involved in the creation that he has made. And we need to recognize that. Hebrews 1.3, he's a radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. All that amazing stuff that we can see with the telescopes and everything else, you want to know why it's there? You want to know why it stays in, put in place exactly where it is? Because Jesus holds it by the word of his power. That's why it is there. We also need to understand something else that we might not like from the Bible that you're not going to get from evolution. And in fact, this is the reason they're pushing evolution to start with. Man's a sinner. And we can't save ourselves. Mankind is a sinner and we can't save ourselves. So God provided salvation for us in Christ. All have sinned. You, me, Billy Graham, everybody, we're all screwed up, we're all messed up. None of us are good enough to go to heaven. None of us can save ourselves. We all need mercy. We all need the grace of God. 
None of us can save ourselves. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But go on and it says, and are justified by his grace, not by your works, not by your goodness, by his grace as a gift, not even something you can earn. How does that happen? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin and for my sin. You can't find that out in evolution. You can't find that in science, but thank God we can find it here. That's why we need creation to speak to us about the reality of a creator, but we need the word of God to speak to us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 through 20. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Thank God for Calvary. Thank God that he loved us enough to send his son. Thank God that he shed his blood, God's blood, on the cross as full payment for our sin. Because you cannot pay for it. I cannot pay for it. None of us can be the perfect sacrifice. Only Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He shed his blood for our sins. And this is where you find out about it. We need creation to speak to us, but we need God's Word to speak to us also. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. The same one that's the physical creator of all the universe is also a spiritual creator. In the moment we come to Christ by faith, as far as God's concerned, all the old things are passed away. All things become new. And He makes us a new creation. Now, before you sit there and be thinking to yourself, I'm going to, do, I'm going to mess with your mind just a little bit. I'm going to meddle. I'll, I'll meddle sometimes. Before you sit there and think, I'm hungry, I want to go eat, I wish they'd hurry up and get over with, with all this stuff right now, before you sit there and start running that through your mind, you need to go back and remember who you were without Jesus. And you need to thank God that all the old things pass away. <laughs> and that He's also the spiritual creator and He changes us and makes us new. A new creature. A new creation in Christ. Creation with God's sovereign act. Salvation is God's sovereign act also. One last thing. And I know I'm probably coming down on the downer side now. But I'm just trying to be truthful with you. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what I believe. God that created everything, since He's a creator, He's got the right to bring it to an end. And He will one day. The God that created everything also has the right to judge. And He will one day. Second Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, when the heavens will pass away with, roar, with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. All the stuff you think you're hiding, guess what? You're not. It says all these things are thus to be dissolved. What sort of people 
ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The God that made everything has the right, and the Bible says he will do so, one day to roll it all up, bring it to an end, and he'll be the judge. So I know we've talked about a lot of things scientifically, a lot of logic today about creation. But you see, because that's true, because it will come to an end, because God will judge, you need to decide which of these two scenarios is true. Does it make more sense to you to believe that everything that exists was once smaller than an atom? And an explosion took place. And everything that we see today happened randomly by accident because of that explosion. Or do you think it makes more sense to believe what the Bible says and what creation screams? That there is a creator God who loved you, who sent his son to die on the cross for you. One last passage of Scripture that Paul writes about in Romans. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Freeze that just a minute. I'll keep reading. To me, that describes perfectly what secular scientists and evolutionists are trying to do. They're trying to suppress the truth. Remember what the guy wrote with his own words? We know all this can't be proven, but we've got to hold to materialism and to evolution because we can't allow a divine foot in the door. They're trying to suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Then catch this last sentence. So they are without excuse. Well, Paul writes under divine inspiration for me to boil it down to you and put it really simple as this. He's saying that through the creation that God has made, It gives a testimony that he's there and that he's real. And you've got enough evidence from creation that there's a God. And that means you're without excuse. Even if you didn't even have the Bible, you're without excuse because creation says there's a God. But on top of that, we also have the Bible. And the whole reason of this series is for us to understand why the Bible's true. And how we ought to apply it to our lives. So you see, you need to really get this right. Because you're without excuse to God. Creation holds you accountable. The Bible holds you accountable. And without Jesus Christ, you have no hope. Let's pray. Father, 
God, we pray for all the confusion that's taking place in our world, all the confusion that's taking place for our children and in our teenagers and on universities. Where they're being taught something as factual that has never, ever been proven. They're being taught something that, as far as I'm concerned, takes more faith to believe in evolution than it takes to believe in you. The Father, we pray for our children in schools. We pray for for students in universities, many who go to a university having a foundation and a faith in you that's being torn apart by liberal professors. Father, I pray that you equip us, that you help us to be able to stand for the truth of your word. To be able to stand for the fact that you are a creator that loves us and sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. Father, if there's someone in this place this morning that doesn't know Christ, Father, please speak to them. Please draw them to yourself. Help them to see it's much more logical to believe in you than it is to believe in an explosion. (laughs) Bring about all that exists. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand. God speaks to your heart. We invite you to come. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.